Thanks for joining us today on the Beach Church Podcast. As a church, we exist to reach, raise up, and release followers of Jesus who change the world. Thank you for partnering with us in that mission. Hi, if we haven't met before, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and if you're here this morning for the first time, uh, then we have uh, uh, kind of a, maybe a little bit of shock to the system for you because we're in week three of our series called Eden. And the topic that we're covering is the topic of sex. Because we've realized that as a church, uh, and not just our church, but just our churches in general, we've, we've kind of done a poor job of actually addressing some of the issues like this in our everyday lives. Uh, most of the time, if you come to just about any church, uh, you're going to, when it comes to the topic of sex, you're going to have either silence, where we never talk about it, um, or the other one, the other approach is, uh, you know what, just no. But all of a sudden when you get married, okay, now go for it, but we're not going to help you along the way, right? That's usually the approaches. Well, we're trying to actually come to a place where we're going, you know what, as a church, if we really believe that all the aspects of our life, if we say we're a follower of Jesus, is underneath the, the lordship of God to where he has designed it, he is, is helping us to live a whole and healthy life while we follow Jesus, that this should be something that is a part of our conversation as disciples of Jesus. And so that's why we are spending the time we are on this series called Eden. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Jerry kicked us off and we started off this series by talking about sex as a good gift from God, right? And it was not created just to be something that is horrible or trips us up or, or creates bad habits. It was created good. It was a good thing for us to experience before any complications or brokenness entered into our world. But then Week two, we spent on, well, we all know that even if there was this amazing intent that God had, how many of us actually get to experience the full amazing intent that was meant to be there, right? We all probably have experienced maybe not just one, but probably even multiple times of things that are very difficult when it comes to this area, um, whether that's in uh, the past that maybe you've had, or maybe things have been done to you that we understand there's trauma, there are major things that happens in the realm of sex that is very difficult. And so we understand this is a complicated topic and by no means is this series going to be an end all to this conversation. It's really a conversation starter um, by trying to say, this is what we believe that God says about this topic and how do we walk and live this out in the best way possible. Um, and so this week, what we're gonna do is really focus in on, well, where do we even draw, where do we even build our foundation for what does sex mean, what is it meant to be experienced, versus maybe what everything around us, including our culture in general, um, tries to draw a different narrative for us. Uh, so that's really where we're going to focus in. We're going to go through some practical examples today of how does that look. Um, and let me, let me throw this out there too as a kind of a disclaimer, um, because anytime we talk about the subject, especially this morning, I'm going to talk a lot about what does the Bible say that we believe God has given us to define sex, define its limitations, those kind of things, versus what we experience? Um, I'm not standing here as, number one, the expert uh, for you on this topic, and number two, not as a glowing example of what does it mean to walk out a good life in this area. Um, I can tell you from my own life, um, from the age of nine and on, I was exposed to pornography, and that was an addiction in my life up until my early 20s. 
I started having sex when I was 15. And then by 19, I was living with my girlfriend at the time, of which we got pregnant, and then 10 weeks later, uh, experienced loss of that child at that time. I am not up here as a, here you go, here's the life, and look at what I've done. I'm standing here going, look, there is no stones being thrown this morning from this stage, because this is a real-life topic that has real experience to it, and I'm not immune to that, and I'm very empathetic to knowing how complicated and how much uh, pain and brokenness can come through this aspect of everyday life. So please keep that in mind, because even when we're going into some of the harder topics, it's, it's coming from a place of going, you know what, I've more than likely have experienced this or walked this out, and I'm telling you from experience, this is where it's led even me, and I believe will lead many of you, or if not our culture in general, if we believe the advice. And that's kind of what our video is kind of setting up, right? The advice we can be given in some realms that are absolutely bad advice versus going to something that's actually credible uh, to get our understanding. And this, this, you know, we're using the gardening metaphor because it's what we call Eden. And Eden was the gift of sex. And it was a perfect gift. But we understand there's things that come along with that. So let's, let's get started this morning because we want to talk about what are the, what, what I'm going to call is the different narratives that we're given. There's two, two narratives we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a cultural narrative that we're probably all inundated with. And nar- another word for narrative is this is a worldview, right? A worldview is just something that, that you live and breathe every single day. It's a lens in which we see the world around us and it helps us to define what we believe is true and right. Um, so there's a cultural narrative, a cultural worldview that we all are probably accustomed to, but we, I'm going to also present what is the biblical narrative or worldview that offers a different story. And at the same time, what really depends is which foundation we start from when we talk about this topic. Because depending on which one of these you begin with, you're going to end in very different places when we get to actual practical questions. So today, most sociologists would talk about our culture, specifically American culture, as uh, what has been for a long time a postmodern culture, even though now we're rapidly moving past that. Um, and what a postmodern culture basically says is that anything that we believe is true um, can be different depending on your perspective or your experience, uh, or each individual can define truth in different ways. So this is where you hear things like, well, that's just my truth. Like I speak my truth, um, or well, that's true for you, but maybe it's not true for me, right? Those are all postmodern statements because what we've done is said the ultimate definition for truth is my own perspective, right? Now, the one thing I want to get us to recognize is that there may be a difference between our perspective or what we're claiming is, is our truth. There may be a difference between that and what is actually the truth, right? There's a, those can be two different things. Have you ever experienced a situation and then actually opened up, listened to another person in the same scenario, and they had a very different rendition of what happened? And you're going, you know what? Maybe, maybe I didn't get the whole story, right? That's, but po- postmodern culture would have you to believe, well, whatever you experience is absolutely true, and everybody else needs to recognize your experience as true. In a, in a biblical view, we go, it goes a very different direction, it says we, truth doesn't get to be defined by us as individuals or by humans in general. We believe truth is linked to the person of Jesus, to God himself, 
who created everything. And because he created everything, he is the one who defines who we are, the, the view and dignity of humanity, and what is true, right, good, and beautiful. He gets to do that, not us. Okay, so those are two very different starting points that we can, we can go with. So let's walk through some practical examples of how this would play out. And these are, hopefully, these are bits of advice that you've heard already. If you just, it doesn't matter where you go, you're probably going to come across this. Um, so, for example, in culture, you'll probably hear, well, follow your heart, right? If you're trying, like, what do I do with my life? Or if I'm trying to make a decision, well, follow your heart. That, what, what do we mean by that? We usually mean do what you want, right? Do what feels good. Do, you know, if you got that instinct reaction, trust that, right? That's where we're going to. This is like, this is the plot for every Disney movie in the past 15 plus years, right? There's a character that we start off with. They uh, are different from everyone else. And everybody around them is like, you can't act like that. That's not how, how things are supposed to be. And then we go on this long, an hour and a half journey, which if you're a parent, you've seen 50 times by the time you're done with that movie and you move on to the new one, according to my five-year-old daughter that we watch things over and over again. So you get through this whole hour and a half journey, and by the end, what happens? Everybody in the entire community goes, oh my goodness, we were all wrong. There is nothing wrong with you. You are perfect, and we all need to change our definition of who people are, right? That is a postmodern definition in itself, right? The reality is defined by that one person, and the rest of the community needs to validate that one truth. Even if it contradicts other things, doesn't matter. It's that truth right, so, right there. Have you ever recognized, though, that how many times are, are you have people in your life, maybe you've done this, but you've like, this is something I really want. Like, in my heart, I really want it. And then you pursued it, and you got there, and you were like, is this it? Or it was, it was not even, like, disappointing. It was just outright bad for you whatsoever, right? Because here's the, here's the biblical view on how this works. Jeremiah 17, 9, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think we, it doesn't take long to look around the world to see there's, there's problems, right? And those problems center around people in our lives, why? Because we believe from a faith perspective that there's a thing that's called sin and selfishness that does play out in everyday people's lives. And that comes out of how they live in their own hearts. So our hearts are not meant from a faith perspective to be something we fully outright rely on. It actually tells us outright you can't rely on it because it has issues. The rest of this passage in Jeremiah 17 literally goes on to say, well, there is one person who does know the depths of human hearts, but there's only one, and that's God. But as people, we're, very, we're, we're too limited many times to even understand our own hearts. This is why like, things like mental health and counseling is so vital. Why? Because we get into places where we don't even have a clue what to do, right? We, don't, we can't even un, unentangle our own stories, so we need to sometimes reach out to a professional that is trained in that and helps us to walk that through. Why? Because they can see something that we can't alone. That's where it tells you our hearts are not trusted enough to be able to really outright define all of reality. Or how about this in Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It says there is something we do with our hearts and it is fully to trust in who God is, not in the understanding that we have, 
Um, one of my favorite, I saw this video a long time ago. You can find it, I'm sure, on YouTube, but it's literally one of these videos that makes you like, there's a bunch of guys passing a basketball around, and it's literally like, all right, you count how many times they pass it before the video's done. So you like get laser focused, and you just stare at the basketball, right? Because it's like one of those shell games. And by the time it's done, it's like, well, how many? And everybody's like, like 25, because you're like zoned in, like I got it right. And then it's like, it tells you, but then it goes, but then did you see the dancing bear? And then it goes and replays the video, and it shows a six-foot-tall guy in a bear suit moon dancing across the middle that you never see because you're so focused on the basketball, you don't even see a six-foot-tall guy in a, in a bear costume doing the Michael Jackson moves. See, that's what we're saying. We have a limited perspective. There's, this is why we so stress community and life groups here at Beach Church because we believe that we are not meant to do things alone. We're... Really, we're, we're, we can't even define our own lives well, let alone without God and without other people. So there's two different foundations. How about this? The culture around us is do what makes you happy. This is, this is an interesting one because if, if you've ever, if, if, I don't know if you've heard about this movement, it's called the minimalist movement, um, which I'm all for because I love you know, being simplistic and you don't need to buy excessive amounts of stuff. Um, that's great, but the, the method that some use to do that is pull, you know, get everything, categorize it, pick something out, all right, and then it goes, does, does this bring you joy? If it doesn't bring you joy, then you chuck it, right? That's how you sort out your stuff. Well, what, what do we, how, do, how does that play out? What do we do then with, like, people in our lives that don't make us happy? Like, do we need to start cutting, cutting those people out as well? Like, it's a pretty, it's a very slippery slope with that because and two what happens if your happiness is to the detriment of the happiness of another person and even in this context what happens if your happiness as maybe if you're married a spouse is not good for the happiness of your the other person in your life that's your significant other right we cannot limit ourselves to just individuals because sometimes what makes you happy leads to a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. I think there's a lot of people's stories who start out going, well, I just like doing this. I, 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 this makes me happy. But then five, ten years down the road, and now they're living a life in addiction and pain and, and broken relationships. Why? Because it leads somewhere. If it's all about me and my happiness, well, who am I willing to step over to get that? And I think we see that play out too, all too often in our culture. From a, from a biblical narrative standpoint, this is the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. And he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He literally says, Deny yourself. Take up your cross, and the, the cross being what Jesus is going to do later in his ministry, where he's literally going to die on the cross for the benefit of everyone else. Do we have a category in our cultural understanding of happiness that accounts for suffering, and especially suffering on the behalf of someone else? What if there's someone in your life or in your neighborhood who's suffering an injustice of some kind? Are we willing to step in? to that situation on their behalf and suffer with them. 
I don't think, I think everything in our culture points us to we, we want to get away from things that are difficult, away from things that are hard, because at the end of the day, I want to be happy. But again, what if your happiness comes at the expense of whole groups of other people that's here? So there's a, two very different narratives here, and at the end of the day, they're going to lead you down very different paths. Now, when we talk about specifically about the topic of sex, we also have advice that we're usually given, like this one. Sex is just sex, right? It doesn't have to mean anything, right? As long as it's two consensual people, what does it matter? Who you have sex with, how often you have sex, where, it doesn't matter, right? The hard part about that is that our, even in neurologists, sociologists, that talk about the effects on our psychology and on our bodies as we do those types of things, right? It's not just about a physical act, um, and it's not just about my own pleasure. Because when you get to, oh, here's the second one. Uh, this one also says, you have to test drive the car before you buy it. Have you ever heard that advice? That is bad advice, guys. All right, if someone in your life is comparing having sex to another person to buying a car, just say no. All right, that's a whole other conversation we need to have before we even get to what that is, right? Have you noticed, though, this one is basically just saying, who, who, you don't have the right, anyone else does not have the right to tell me what to do with my life, right? That's the, the core of this. I should be able to ha- do this with whoever I want to, right? And the second one is kind of built on the idea of, well, wait a minute, aren't you afraid that you might get a raw end of the deal here on the other side? Like, maybe you're going to marry this person, and what if you're not going to like it? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a motivation of fear of that maybe you're going to miss out on something, right? So these are not good places to start off with. But here's the, here's the biblical answer to this. And this is the Apostle Paul who helped plant this church in Corinth. And if, if uh, Pastor Jerry, I know, referenced this, I think, last week, but Corinth is the church that there is pretty much known as kind of like the Jerry Springer church, right? There's hardly anything that they're doing that is going well. And he spends, a, this is like one of his longest letters, and he spends it like chapter after chapter to telling them like, all right, you're doing this, please don't. Like, here's a different way. It's over and over and over again. And Corinth is known as a city that is based on sex of any kind. It's, it's a place of pleasure. It's, it's like the Las Vegas to whatever other, you know, city you want to put there. Um, if it basically, if it moves and it breathes, they're probably sleeping with it, to be honest. It's one of those type cities. Now, all of a sudden, Paul plants a church in this place, and all these people, that's their normal background. So Paul's trying to help them grow into what does it mean to live a life with Jesus, which is difficult, right? It's, you're coming out of an extreme background. So this is what he's saying. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. Okay, so he's saying the Corinthians have written to Paul asking questions. So he's writing back to them, and he's about to quote something they wrote to him to answer this part. So they wrote to him, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he's already been teaching them, if you're not in a marriage, then you should not be having sex. That's basically what he's saying. And they've repeated back to him saying, okay, we understand that point. All right, so that's all that's gone on so far. We understand that. But then Paul goes on, he says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So the, the term sexual immorality in the Greek, it's kind of a term that encapsulates all different types of things. It's like if you don't have a category for it, that word is, is there for it. It's usually the word porneia, which we get pornography from. 
um, from it's anything that happens sexually that's not within a marriage. Okay, so he's literally telling them, hey, it's fantastic that you got the idea that you don't need to go around sleeping with whoever, right? Because that is not a good thing. But he, he then comes back and says, but there are probably people among you that is, this is going to be severely difficult with walking out this level of self-control in a city that nothing promotes it. And so for those people, it's best for them to find a, a proper avenue, which is for them to have a husband or a wife. That's all he's saying is practical advice. But he'll say in another letter um, that he writes to a different church, he's saying, if you have the ability to walk this out of being alone, being self-controlled, perfectly fine. You don't, it's not like you have to go the full range of marriage if that's not where it leads you to. But he's a, his whole point here is the self-control aspect, right? And see, it's hard for us because I think a lot of times we approach this question as if it's like God is just, he made humans, he pumped us full of hormones, and he was like, I'm going to do this, and then just tell them no, right? Just to see how this thing plays out, right? Who's going to get it, who's going to not? That helps sort things out for me. That is not at all what, it, what this picture is about. But sometimes that's how it can feel to us as we're doing this. But that is not the picture of a good father who created people in his image, gave us a good gift to use. It's not on the problem there. The problem is, is when we've used and abused the gift in ways that it was never intended to be used, right? If you left here today and you were going home, and then you ended up going, you know what, we need some gas. But instead of going to a gas pump, you go over somewhere where it pumps water, shove that in your gas tank, and start cranking it full. But then someone sees you, and they're like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, that's not going to be good. And you're like, whoa, you can't judge me. You can't tell me how to live my life. This makes me happy. And, I mean, to be honest, if I was in that, I'm just like, I'm going to let you do it. I don't know what else to say at that point right? We all get that. Why? Because it's not, it's a car. It's not designed for that. It has nothing to do with making some arbitrary rule just so we can say you can't do that. It has everything to do with there's a way this was designed and then therefore that's what it's used for. But it's not, it's not meant for these things. God is not about setting a bunch of rules arbitrarily just to see who follows them, who doesn't. He set these things in place so that we can get the absolute best out of the gift of sex. That's what it's for. He, his original intent was for us to be able to experience this for the first time with the person we would spend our life with. And then, even though it, we're all brand new at it, then you get to spend the rest of your life growing in that with another person where you have no baggage, no comparison, no insecurities, all that stuff to bring into the equation. And I can tell you from personal experience, the more that you walk down the cultural path, the more you're going to have all those things that you bring into a relationship. It's just part of the package. So what I was reading this week, there's a, there's a doctor, his name is Dr. Mike Dow, and he does a whole study where it's, the study is primarily focused on even just dating relationships, right? It's a whole different thing when it's dating and it's a sexually active relationship, okay? But even just the dating relationship, he talks about what is the psychological and neurological effects on a person's body. Um, and I guarantee you there's some of you in this room that knows this stuff better than I do because you might even have a background in it. So I'm going to try my best to remember the actual names of all the, the, the brain chemicals and things that, that go on. 
But he basically points out to there's oxytocin, right? That's called the love hormone. And that is basically what bonds one person to another person, right? If you're a mother and you have had a child, there's a flood of oxytocin that happens through that process that makes it to where you bond to that child. This is why later on, like you see a news story that's like child gets trapped under car, mother lifts car and gets child out. That's, that's the effects of oxytocin. It's the, you're willing to die for that person pretty much because of the bond that's created. That's one of the primary ones that starts in a dating relationship but goes off the charts in a sexual relationship. It even goes to the point in a sexual relationship to where it rivals even people who are on cocaine or different hard drugs. It has almost those same effects on your brain at that point. But along with that, you have both serotonin and dopamine. This is your pleasure and your happiness kind of chemicals that get going. And so all three of these fire when you're in a, even just a dating committed relationship and it goes further in the sexual act. Um, but have you ever had it to where like either you've either experienced this or someone in your life, they got all of a sudden they went through a breakup and then they started acting like a lunatic after that. Like they started like couldn't get off their phone. Like I, I'm, I'm lonely. I got to text the person. No judgment. We've all probably been there at some point in time. All right. Well, Dr. Mike Dow pretty much explains that and says it's pretty much because these hormones have locked themselves to you and this other person. And then when you break up, it's your body goes into withdrawal mode because it's no longer getting those things from that person. So your, your physical makeup of your body is screaming for you to somehow get that back. And so it leads us into what they call irrational behavior so that we do things we wouldn't normally do. So he even says in order for you to recalibrate your body, you have to go at least 30 whole days with no contact, no nothing with that person just to hope that your body will re-regulate. Okay? So when we say things like sex is just sex, your body says otherwise. Your body says it is literally attempting to graft itself to another human being, not just physically, but in a fully emotional and mental way. That is why we feel the consequences when it's ripped away. Now, what happens when we bond ourselves in that way over and over again, and it's just temporary over and over and over again? And then all of a sudden, maybe we do get in a fully committed relationship or even marriage, and we go, okay, body, now we're going to do this with this only one person from now on. Your body doesn't function that way. It is learned over lots of periods of time that these are temporary and they get removed. So you get a little bit into the relationship, and all of a sudden, your body chemicals start acting up, and you're going, ah, I don't know, and they go up and down because we've literally trained ourselves to do it a certain way. See, all these things are just things that we believe the Bible has been trying to tell us for a long period of time, that now we actually have science to actually tell us why do we act a certain way or what are the consequences when we, we live out in a different way than maybe what God has designed. So our bodies even betray us when we try to say, well, this is just some physical act. Because ultimately what we're getting at is this is something I get for my pleasure. And unfortunately, those sometimes play out in ways that's very damaging. I mean, think about in the world, the the second largest uh, crime industry in the world is sex trafficking. Where there's literally a whole industry where primarily women are kidnapped all over the world or enticed into certain scenarios where they're used and abused mainly until they die just because there's people in the world that want to use someone else for their own gratification, for their own sexual pleasure. 
That's the epitome of the gift gone horribly wrong. And hopefully we never have to see that first and foremost. But this is what happens. When we do not, when we believe the cultural narrative, what makes someone happy or what makes it ultimately about their own pleasure always will come at the detriment usually of someone else, if not whole groups of people. But see, after all this, we could also just go with, well, fine, you've made a great case, but you know what? The Bible is outdated. It's super old, and we're a lot smarter now. We have science now. We know better, right? That's where we could end this. I mean, other than the Bible itself, which will let it speak for itself, all scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We believe scripture is from God himself. So this is our reliance upon it is because we believe God is the one who gave it to us. Because he didn't want us to go, you know what, I really wish I knew how God felt about this or what he says we should do. He's like, you know what, here's 3,000 years of history of how I've interacted with all of humanity and a lot of thoughts about how this life should be led. Here you go. Here's, here's all in a written form, just in case you're wondering. That's what the Bible is. So it's given to us that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is, this is where we end up. Which narrative, ultimately, are we going to follow? Right? We have to, you, that's the same decision, really, that when you get back into the story in Eden, um, in Genesis 1 and 2, where people are created in the image of God, they, and they're given a choice. They're given a choice between you can either choose life under God's terms or you can choose to define life for yourselves. And when you read the story, there's two trees, and the trees kind of put there to symbolize that. There's a tree of life, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's what God gives them. He says, you know what? If, if he truly loves humanity, he gives them the ability to either respond and love back to him or we have the ability to choose our own path. And unfortunately, with Adam and Eve, they chose the path to define life for themselves. And we've been struggling with that same question ever since. The question of what do we do about sex, where, what do we believe is the reality about sex comes down to this. Do we actually, are we willing to trust God's definition? Are we willing to trust how he's lined it out and follow that path? Or are we going to trust our own definition? We're going to trust our cultural definition, which is what it is right now, but five years from now is probably going to be a different definition based on how we move in culture. Or are we going to trust the definition God set forth and has been unchanging foundation for since the beginning of humanity? That's the question we have to run with. <clears throat> At the end of the day, this is what ultimately we believe, that God wanted to gift us with sex, but at the same time give us the proper use of it. But then, as we experience the brokenness, we believe that God is fully a God of redemption, of restoration. So no matter what background you're coming from, no matter what's happened to you or what you've chosen to do, it doesn't matter what your past has been. We all deal with the practical implications of those things, but it does not have to define your story. And that's the ultimate example of who Jesus is, the one that regardless of the sin and the brokenness that all people have chosen to do in different avenues, that he still chose to die on the cross so that we can experience a restoration and a redemption 
in our lives, to be restored to that relationship to him. And it's no different in the avenue of sex. So no matter where you're coming from, there is hope. There is restoration. Guess what? God does not look at any person in this room or joining us online and says, you know what? That person's too broken or that person's just dirty. That is not a part of the reality of who God is. He looks at them and says, my heart breaks for what you've experienced, but I'm here to restore all that you've lost, to rewrite the future of your story so that from this day forward, you can start walking in the gift and the freedom and the goodness of what he's always had for you and for me. That is who the God that we serve. He does not look for just obedience to arbitrary rules. But he's always been about the ultimate goal of us living an an unhindered life with him. And so this is what we want to do this morning is we have these prayer gardens in the back of the room. If you're with us, if you're online, I invite you to to find a spot that you can pray. But really, I think the, the best thing that we can do, because you know your story, you know where you're coming from, but you also know what maybe God is laying on your heart right now. And I want to invite you to take advantage of these prayer gardens in the back. We have our, our prayer team members that will also be around there if you want to pray with someone. And I'd encourage you to do so. Um, but if you just need some time alone, we've created spaces there for you to be able to move during this last song of worship to just lay your heart out there to God. And hopefully for you to receive his love, his forgiveness, or his restoration, his redemption into who you are and into your spirit this morning because there's nothing that cannot be undone by the love of God and so what I'm going to do I'm going to pray but then as this last song begins feel free to move if if you don't feel led to go there stand and just sing and and share your heart with God because this is a this can be a difficult topic but at the same time there's nothing too difficult for who God is And you're still welcome, no matter where you're coming from. So let me pray over us. And I just pray, if God's laying on your heart, go pray with someone. Lay it out there with him and hear from him this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, first and foremost, that you are a good father. That you don't look at us in ways that is with contempt or thinks, oh, they've done too much. You're a good father that receives his sons and daughters back whenever they seek you out. God, I pray over this area uh, of our lives, this, this area of sex, and just say, God, we invite your wholeness. We invite your redemption in our stories, but we also ask that you help us um, that call you uh, Lord we ask you to help align our hearts and minds to your story and not to the one that leads to more brokenness and pain. We invite your Holy Spirit here that your presence would be felt, that we can, we can experience your grace and your mercy. And God, we'd also find ways to forgive even ourselves depending on our story. To invite you here this morning, God, as we pray, as we worship. Meet us here, God, with wherever we're at. 
Just thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done on our behalf and for your sacrifice so that we can be restored in a relationship with you. Just pray these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.